from West Philadelphia, born and raised, it's the IGN DigiGods. So please welcome two men who are chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Thank you, Corey. Chillaxing, maxing, all cool. Who sent that in? That was written by Owen Craig, who I think might have been the guys on the playground who were giving uh, the Fresh Prince a hard time. Uh, there we go. Thank you, Owen. We appreciate the uh, the intro. Uh, Mark, please, so he, please, he, he, please he, pass he, me the thing huh? with which I will I will alleviate my parched palate. So here, here's the situation. Yes. Now, uh, on Friday, there's a movie coming out. <laughs> and and yes, there is. And we're going to talk about it on the show because it, it ties in. There's actually a couple, but carry on. Uh, it's a movie I've waited 30 years for. Uh-huh. And it's a movie that Wade has waited 30 years for, right? So I'm thinking to myself, I have to see this movie. My childhood will be redeemed if this movie is good. <laughs> so then what happens? turns out that I am being sent to New York for my work, right? I'm leaving on Wednesday night. Yes. So I'm thinking all I care about, not will the plane crash, not is there, will my project go successfully. Couldn't care less about that. All I cared about is when is Mad Max Fury Road screening? (laughs) It better goddamn screen before I leave because I waited 30 years for this movie and it better be good. Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you something, Wade. Mm -hmm. I'm leaving Wednesday on the red eye. (laughs) The movie is screening the one I got invited to Wednesday night. Yes. I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to make this work. Flight leaves at 11.30 at night. Screening, 7 at night. Starts at 7, rolls at 7.15. Out at 9, 10-ish. It's about two hours, right? It's exactly two hours. So you figure uh, you're out by 9.15. You're to your car by 9.30. Plane leaves. (laughs) I can still do it. Plane leaves at 11.30. You you should do it. You should. I can't. Seriously. I can't. You should. It just broke my heart. Absolutely broke my heart. I cannot see Mad Max. And now I have it on good authority because he's sitting three feet from me that Wade has seen Mad Max. <laughs> and, and I hate him for it. <laughs> he saw it this morning uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a lovely screening room over at uh, Dolby Laboratories sitting there with. Uh, it wait, was, wait, wait, wait. Which one? Dolby. In Burbank? Yeah. That little room? It, it, it's not that little. Really? Yeah. It, it, believe me. Is it it big? was. The audio. The, here's the thing. It's the one not, right. The one right across from you from where NBC used to be. Yes, it's not important to see this film in yes, it IMAX. Is. Yes, it's it not is. important to yes, see it, it in is. 3D. I, I, you know what? I want to see it in 5D. It is. It is important to see it with the most maxed out, tricked out audio imaginable because the audio is everything. It is just. I mean, look. I if if you're, I would encourage everybody to uh, tune into Film Week. On, uh, if you don't if you don't live in LA where it would be 89.3 at noon on Friday the 15th uh, tune into scpr.org at noon on Friday or else do the film week podcast and you will hear uh, Tim Cogshill and I will uh, will share our thoughts about uh, Mad Max Fury Road along with all the rest of the week's openers it's a huge week 30 films opening this week I've seen um, uh, about 12 of them I'm I'll be lucky to see three or four more. And then uh, it's it, who knows how many we'll get through on the show. But here, here's what I will say about Fury Road before I, without giving anything away. Um, it's just unbelievably awesome. It is through the roof, mind-bogglingly, spectacularly awesome. And uh, he's had 30 years to work this out, and that's why. So here's a guy who's been, you know, a 70-year-old guy who's been wanting to make this movie since he was 40. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Now, what I'm hoping. And again, it breaks my heart that I didn't, I can't see it, or at least see the screening. 
I mean, I can pay for it, and goddamn right I will. Yes. But what I'm saying is that I'm hoping that the only CGI in this movie is just wire removal stuff. Pretty, I'll say this. Yeah, pretty much. The, the, the CGI, there's more than just wire removal. I mean, there's a, there's a, a fair amount of CGI, but it's not... It's it's all sort of accent and embellishment and and bet- coloring between the lines, right? It's it's uh, it's not like something like the Avengers or any of the other just about everything else these days, you know, from the Hobbit to whatever else, where you sit there and the whole big wow moment that you're looking at lives on a hard drive, where it does not it, it does not and has never existed anywhere in the real world. Everything here of of significance was staged with actors and cars and <laughs> drums and guitars and flame. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's visionary. It really is. It's just... Shut up. I just can't. Anyway, speaking of, you know it. you know, it's released this week as no, well? No. Appropriately enough? No. Brand new collector's edition of Mad Max, courtesy of the people at Scream Factory. Now, people have to understand that Mad now, Max... I don't know why Shout Factory's Scream Factory line was selected for this because it's not a horror film. Scream Factory is mostly horror stuff. Well, Scream Factory also did escape, the Escape from New York. The new one. I know, I know. So it's so they're, they're obviously branching out into a little bit more kind of B stuff. But anyway. But they should not. I mean, I, we love Scream Factory. We love Shout Factory. Yep. But don't you think there's room on a studio, home video, entertainment slate for Mad Max? Does it really need to go to Shout Factory? Well, um, here's the thing. It's... The Mad Max franchise lives at Warner Brothers except for this film. So the previous boxed set that had, you know, all three films, they had to license this from... Which I have. They had to license this from MGM. This is presently with MGM. So uh, it was MGM's decision, you know, to uh, to let uh, Shout Factory do this. Uh, you got new interviews with Mel Gibson, uh, Joanne Samuel, David Egby, who was the DP, uh, new uh, audio commentary with uh, John Dowding and David Egby. Um, and the special effects artist, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of new stuff on here, and it is, uh, it, it's, it's, it's pretty great. Um, I'm not sure that it justifies double dipping on this if you if you have the box set with the other three with the three films all together that was released already on Blu-ray. Uh, but if you don't have it, it's great. Uh, you know, the the original Mad Max is still a legendary film. It in, it it came out in 1979. You know, it's funny now how everything that's hot this year is still continuing franchises from the 1970s. I mean, it's amazing. Star Wars, Mad Max. It's kind of kind of unreal. Well, the thing with Mad Max is that, first of all, it was not a post-apocalyptic movie. Like no, it Road was Warrior, not. It's just society's in decay. Yeah, it's just on the verge. It's, you know, it's, now, of course, it's, George Miller with Mad Max decided, let's just blow up the world. That sounds like fun. <laughs> with, with Road Warrior. Let's just, yeah, yeah. Let's just destroy the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a low-budget film. It's not quite a B film, but it's a low-budget film. It comes from the Oz exploitation era. You know, there was this period where a lot of these really hot directors, Roger Donaldson was another one, uh, Peter Jackson, frankly, was another one of them. Uh, Peter Weir was not. But uh, a lot of these guys, uh, they came, a lot of these Australian directors who really kind of forged a career in the U.S. in, in, in the 1980s, they, were all, they all came of age in the 1970s, either as part of the Australian New Wave which is where uh, Peter Weir came out of, and and uh, you know a few other uh, the more legit guys, and then there was the exploitation stuff, the B movie stuff, the drive-in stuff, the gritty, you know, nasty stuff. And this was this is uh, Mad Max is arguably the the biggest and most successful of those. 
So, uh, man, George Miller, he's just he's just a genius. And that Wired piece you sent me a link to. That's right. I have to read that now because well, now no, that I've read, seen the film. Well, read the bottom. It's really the bottom of it. Which is the, the just how he the logistics of how he pulled it off Correct. with the camera cars and it's Correct. just. It's just you watch this and you just go, how did you even stage this? How many years did it take to take to shoot this? It's unbelievable. It, supposedly there was one sequence, one scene that took him 138 days to shoot. I'm not surprised. It's probably what it, what it, what it don't give it away. God damn it! <laughs> but it's probably like whatever climactic chase there is. Like if there's one chase above all chases, I, it's here's, probably that one. Here's the pre. I'll give you a little bit of a film week preview. Uh, what I will be saying on film do, week. Wait, do I need to be uh, covering my ears for this? No, no, no. This is sacred ground. Wait, I know. Thirty I, years I've waited for this movie. I'll tell you this. I, it breaks my heart. This I movie. See this this movie. movie begins. This movie begins. By raising the bar on chase scenes with what is arguably the greatest chase scene in movie history. It begins with easily what is now the official greatest chase scene in movie history. And the one that ends the film beats it. (laughs) The two best chase scenes in movie history exist in this movie. (laughs) It's only only the best chase scene in movie history for about 96 minutes until the one at the end beats it. It's – I mean the the, the, – Balls that it takes to do what he does in this movie, I can't even. I don't even. I can't even begin. So uh, you know what? I, I really. It, you know. You know what kills me also is that now I have to see it. Excuse my French. With a bunch of plebes who are going to be <laughs> checking their voice, checking their texting. They won't. I guarantee you, they won't. Nobody is going to be touching their phone while they're watching this. Yeah. You know what they're going to be touching? What? They, 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 themselves. Themselves. <laughs> they will to to make sure that they're still there. I want to see this on a Tuesday morning at seven a.m. with nobody in the theater. Okay. You know what else we got this week? Uh, the there's a new uh, Blu-ray and uh, ultraviolet release of uh, Pitch Perfect, Whoa. the all-new sing-along Aka Awesome edition. Um, which there's no real reason to upgrade to this. It's just it's just got a sing-along version. It's got otherwise it's got all the same stuff, and uh, the only reason really that this is being released is because Pitch Perfect 2 opens on Friday, which I have not seen yet. Don't you find it strange? Not but strange. I, you know, people wonder- are expecting Pitch Perfect 2 to actually open ahead of Mad Max. Because Mad Max is rated R, and this will, of course, be PG-13. Well, there's not a... There's, there's, look, girlfriends will drag their boyfriends to go see Pitch Perfect 2. As there long- is not a boyfriend <laughs> in the world who will be able to drag her girlfriend to go see Mad Max. You know what? Don't bet on it. Because Claudia and Amy and, and Christy were all completely apoplectic this morning. So everybody loved this movie. Now, no one loved it as much as I did because I was, you know, clearly I was the I was the adolescent on the row and I warned everyone ahead of time because the, the, I was laughing and I was screaming and I was the one who was going, "Oh, whoa, yeah." That was the I, I was the only one in the theater doing that. It was completely unprofessional. Yeah. Utterly unprofessional. I, anyway. I I I just want like kids who love the Fast and Furious movies to go to this film and go, "Oh, you mean that's what it's like when it's real?" <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, look, the Fast and Furious movies are terrible. It, it's, it's all CGI. It's just a cartoon. The two best things that were said about this, and then we should move on. Um, Justin Chang, in his Variety review, he, he basically uh, said, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm forgetting exactly his phrasing, but he, he said it was like like comparing this to Fast and the Furious. The Fast and Furious films, by comparison, are like a pit stop at Autopia. Yeah. It's it just it, it, it's just, it's not even the same universe. And and uh, Alonzo said something absolutely brilliant in his review for the rap. He said that uh, Mad Max Fury Road is the Gotta Damerung of uh, of drive-in movies, not which is just you know 
It, which is a way of saying it's the most Wagnerian action yeah. film you will ever see. Oh, give it away. All right, I'm done. I'm done, man. I I'm done. I see you, Uncle Wade. I'm done. I don't want to have to go to New York. I don't want a free flight to New York to work, but I, gotta, I can maybe sneak my family in, uh, maybe for dinner here, see a friend, get a nice meal. Don't care. Yeah. would rather stay in L.A. Yeah. and see Mad Max tomorrow. All right, Mark. Let's talk about CPO Sharky. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now, let me tell you something. CPO Sharky yep. has the 7,875 millionth best chase scene ever. <laughs> now, uh, this show started... Finally out. Huh? It's finally out. Why do you care? Season one of CPO... This show's terrible. You the, the, Look, you know... It's Don Rickles. The problem with this show... And look, I, I, I didn't dislike this show. It's, it, it was, it's from the mid... It's last a couple seasons in the mid-70s. The thing is that the show starred Don Rickles, the great Don Rickles, but... You know, and he said hockey puck and whatever he says, but it's not like the Don Rickles who you know and love and and is ballsy enough to make fun of Frank Sinatra and not get shot. That's not the Don Rickles you have at CBS. Basically, Rickles. I mean, basically what they were going for with this show, they wanted to do the, the, the people like the the tough military guy who insults everybody around them and tries to run a tight ship, and of course can't because he's surrounded by idiots. That has been done to death uh, on television. You know, Sergeant Carter from uh, from Gomer Pyle was that guy. Uh, Phil Silvers on uh, Sergeant Bil- uh, Bilko, Phil Silvers' show, was that guy. Um, you know, Bil- we, Bilko Baggins. The, yeah, the <laughs> Bilko Baggins. Oh, thank you. Uh, mix mix up mix up all all your genres. Uh, so I mean, it, it. So this was obviously an attempt to go to do that a little bit. I guess you could say that Ernest Borgnine was a little bit of that. You know. Uh, and and the only thing I find interesting about CPO Sharky is that this is not the first CPO Sharky on television. Did you know that? What? Did you realize that there is actually a character on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea whose name is CPO Sharky? No, there's not. Sure is. It's pretty great. Uh, some old television here. We've got uh, Science Fiction Theater, the complete series. Which is now out from Timeless. Timeless, of course, uh, being distributed. Uh, Timeless mostly does Western stuff, and uh, there are uh, being, you know, there. This is part of the MGM library, and uh, there's a lot of sub licensing going on here. So, uh, science fiction theater, if, for those who have no frame of reference to it, was uh, one of those anthology shows that that kind of tried to jump into the anthology era in uh, in the 1950s. We really only remember a few of them, Outer Limits and Twilight Zone. Obviously, are the two biggies. Everybody remembers Alfred Hitchcock Presents was also in the mix. But there were like Amazing five... stories. Well, that's from the 80s. But there were, there were more in the 50s or a ton more. There was, you know, One Step Beyond. And, and there were a whole bunch of others. And this is one of them. And uh, it's not on the same level as the others. But it, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's got some interesting stuff in it. Um, it presumably, it's... Uh, its its claim to fame is that it was on the air before all of the others, but just barely. Um, and uh, but you know you you get you still get a bunch of interesting people in it. DeForest Kelly shows up, and uh, uh, you know a bunch of other people. June Lockhart. So they're all you know if genre fans will certainly enjoy it. I I just think the writing is a little bit substandard. Uh, the best of the Ed Sullivan Show, six yeah. six DVD set. This is great. Uh, I'm, I'm, I keep looking for them to release the entire Ed Sullivan show, but that would just be unwieldy and huge. But you get almost every, almost everything that's really significant here: uh, Elvis and the Beatles, and Michael Jackson, and uh, Jackie why Mason. Why is this not and Rich on Blu-ray? Little. Why is that not on Blu-ray? Because uh, they don't want to remaster it. That's why. 
I mean, it truly, it's probably the reason. It's probably, you know, really kind of dingy one-inch masters. And to put it on Blu-ray, you'd really, really have to spend some money cleaning that up. Uh, Milton Berle, you know, Rodney Dangerfield. Everybody shows up here. It's great. A lot of comedy, a lot of music. People uh, don't realize how influential Ed Sullivan was in it, his time. Th- no, that was it. It was, if you, if you, were, if you wanted to be a star... You had to be broken on the Ed Sullivan show. Imagine, imagine, you just had to. Imagine, Ameri- imagine American Idol, the finale of American yeah. Idol every, every week, week. Yeah. for twenty years. Yep, that's what it was. It was. And by the way, you know the uh, the theater where David Letterman, yeah, will be has shot his CBS show for the last twenty years and will be concluding this week is called, of course, the, the Ed, Ed Sullivan, Sullivan Theater. Yep, sure is. After it, because that's where Ed did his show. We also have, uh, speaking of the, the Jerry Anderson collection that uh, continues to be released uh, through Timeless, this is all stuff that was previously released through A&E before A&E ceased to exist as a, uh, a distribution entity. So all the Jerry Anderson stuff, the stop-motion uh, super marionation stuff is coming out again. And uh, this is another one that was very raw as he's developing his style and getting eventually to where uh, we get the Thunderbirds, which is sort of the culmination of, of this stuff. But Supercar um, is, a, is, is boy, I really... Even you have to admit. I Even I have to admit, Supercar is kind of lame. <laughs> it really is. Uh, it's, you, you can tell, it's, it's like, it's... It's bare. Oh, I don't know. It's like you know. You hate Fireball XL five. This is cheesier than Fireball I mean, XL five. You know what? You love that Jerry Anderson stuff more than I do. I think I'm, but cheesy. even see, I even like like Fireball XL five. But this is like the this is where he's really just trying to sort of find his way with it, and it's it doesn't really work very well. Uh, so it's only if you're a, if you're a Jerry Anderson completist and you really you know you love the the whole idea of watching the the style evolve, but. Um, it's really not, it's not that great. It, the other stuff is much much better. So I would say you know by the time you get to Captain Scarlet and Thunderbirds, that stuff is really cool. But uh, this is this is pretty raw, pretty raw. But uh, it's got a few interesting bonus features: uh, an interview with Jerry Anderson, an interview with Derek Meddings, who of course you know was the, the miniature genius who would go on to work on the Star Wars films, and uh, there's even a, a single episode commentary with Sylvia Anderson uh, and a, an interview with Jerry Anderson. Uh, so um, there it is, supercar, complete series. Wait, let me tell you something. Yes, sir. They'll make a reality show out of anything. I know they will. Can I tell you last night? You know what? I talked to this girl on Tinder last night, and so uh, uh, I'm saying this because I'm about to talk about Tanked, which is some reality show on Animal Planet. And so I'm, I, I'm talking to this girl, and, and we're just talking on the phone. And, you know, you talk to a girl on the phone on Tinder, and that's when yeah. you're deciding if sure. you want to go out with them. Maybe the conversation goes well for about 10, 15 minutes, and mm-hmm. then you, at the end, you go, hey, we, you know, it sounds like we're getting along pretty well. Let's have a drink next week, whatever it is. Talking to this girl, she says, I love Bravo. I love watching Bravo. I love all the real housewives. And let me tell you something. There is no bigger turnoff <laughs> to hear that a girl loves Bravo and all the real housewives. Oh. She goes, I lived in Atlanta. And I love that show, although I don't understand why all the women are African-American, because that's, that's not the Atlanta that I knew. I was like, who gives a crap the Atlanta you knew? It's a TV show. Shut up. And I, anyway, I, I went to her home and uh, shot her. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, we, we're, we're not going out. I, I hung up and said thank you very much. Anyway, Animal Planet has a show called Tanked, and this is season two of Tanked. And I have to say that some of these episodes uh, were very skim-worthy. <laughs> uh, there was one episode where this... this, this guy in chicago he loves video games he wants to he wants a a, a pinball machine shaped aquarium 
That one, I have to say, was pretty cool. And it's about these guys. They build aquariums. That's all they do. They live in Las Vegas. And uh, so I, I, I thought Tanked was something that, you know, you, you got to figure, look, are they so hard up for programming on basic cable that they have to start, you know, they have to start dredging up aquarium builders in Vegas? But that's yeah, some fun stuff. These guys are pretty good. Well, speaking of, there's Duck Dynasty Season 7. Uh, you know what? It's that's over. A, that's as much as it's I'm going to. That's as much I'm going to. That show's over. No one cares about it. Anymore. Nope. And by the way, the you know the they had a Duck Dynasty musical in Vegas. They it did closed. Not. They did. It, it really? closed. It closed early. <laughs> Wait, was it with the guys? No. It's just, it was just, somebody just said, "Let's do a Duck Dynasty musical." I don't know who even would. I don't. Even, I, I can't even imagine how that idea doesn't just get laughed right out of the pitch room. You know, because you know what? They look at the demo. For Duck oh. Dynasty, and they look at the uh, that maybe they needed more racist hicks to whoever they are to come to Vegas. I don't know, and they said, you know right. what? Let's do let's do that. You know what? Anyway. It, it's 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 like I was telling this this girl about uh, African Americans on uh, on Real Housewives of Atlanta. I go, look, if Bravo decides that they want more African Americans or Hispanic Americans or whoever to go see to go watch their network, they'll create a show with those people. So that way you are bringing to the table that demographic, whether yep. it's African-American women or yep. Hispanic men, whatever yep. it is. So Duck Dynasty, the musical, was to get those people to Vegas. Well, there you go. And Good. it did not work. Anyway, nope. Broadchurch, uh, season one worked on Broadchurch, the uh, David Tennant, Olivia Coleman uh, show. Uh, season two is um, also pretty good, but not as good because uh, Broadchurch, which of course takes place in this coastal town in uh, Dorset and was all about this uh, this child murder and uh, that was a good season. This one is fine. It kind of a follows up on season one. Um, not as compelling as the uh, previous, but still, it's got a lot of good performances. Good, good for ITV. Um, Fox, I believe, tried to remake this. Didn't do too well. But uh, check out the original Broadchurch season two. You know, uh, we have the final season of White Collar. And uh, the sixth season, I'm uh, that's about right for this this show. Six seasons is, a, is as long as it really should have gone. Uh, a few audio commentaries, deleted scenes, gag reel, and uh, I have to say this show goes out on a on a solid note. It never really had a bad season. It didn't really have an awkward beginning. I watched it intermittently, uh, mostly on DVD over the uh, over the course of its run, and uh, never really totally got into it, but never disliked it. It was just it was one of those shows where I thought, well, I, if it's on, and if you know, I'll I'll if, if I have a kind of a you know an hour or so to blow, I'll watch an episode. But I'm not going to sit here just craving every show, every episode. I'm not going to binge watch this thing. There's sort of no point. Every episode is a little bit like every other episode. However, that said, let me just point out, Matt Bomer, big future. He was in the, uh, what's the HBO AIDS drama that was so good? Yeah, uh, what was uh, that? It had a, 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 a normal heart. Nor, yeah. Very good, and he was good in it. He's great. Yeah. No, he's great. And, uh, you know, I could see him just having a huge superhero feature, future as something. He seems very Brandon Routhian. He does. He does. I, I, I somehow, you know, I like I could see him being if, if Ben Affleck hadn't have landed it. I could see him as Batman. I could see him as uh, something, anything. Green Lantern. I don't know. Wonder Woman. He'd be a good Green Lantern. Wonder Woman. Sure. Why not? He could be. A, he'd be a good Green Lantern, wouldn't he? I, I guess sure. anybody's better than Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, well, whatever. You know that Fantastic Four film supposedly not good. Oh my gosh! Have you heard all the all the? I know. Oh. Wow, that's too well, bad. But but look, the guy you the the, the guy is, you should they should have known better than to hire him as a director. 
They just should have known better. But it's weird because, like, they look, they gave, no, hang on, they gave I Colin know. Trevorrow from Safety Not Guaranteed. Yeah. They but, gave that guy Jurassic Park. I know. They, they, I, I realize that this is a thing where everybody thinks all we need to do is hire some guy who's made a really cool short film and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll make, we just hand him a pile of money and a really good crew. But it's not the case. You, there, there is, there is a, a mentality that you have to have as a director. And, uh, you know, my wife frames it in this sense. She says you have to be able to command the army. That's it, you know. Even if you're not terribly creative, there are guys who, who get TV work and they're not terribly creative, but they walk in and they, 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 and they do the job. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's about just commanding the crew, getting the job done, moving the work along on schedule and knocking out the pages. And it's, it's really kind of grunt work. And, uh, you know, some guys who take like six months and seven months to shoot a precious little 10-minute short film, when suddenly you are dropped in the middle of a gigantic production and everything has to move like clockwork and everybody's staring at you and you're in the middle of this and you're the one who has to move the army, that's, a, that's expecting a lot. And apparently he just completely clammed up and couldn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> he just can't, like had no people skills. He was like curled into a fetal position in the corner, really and the producers had to step in, and they've been doing reshoots, and it's just it's just horrible. Poor Fantastic Four. Oh, He's cursed. It, it really is, and and Fox desperately has to keep it alive because it, otherwise it reverts to Marvel. That's why Fox keeps doing those and X Men films, and why they the, why they keep doing Spider Man stuff over at uh, Sony, which now they're going to tie in with Marvel. Well, because it's about time. And by the way, you know what I have to say: the X Men films I think are good. They're great. They're good films. Although all this this dueling the dueling Quicksilver stuff. Have you been following the dueling Quicksilver? <laughs> Who's the better Quicksilver? Oh no! Let me tell you it's something. It's just so silly. No, you know what. The uh, the Quicksilver who had that scene where he runs around in slow motion in the X in the X Men film. Uh, come on, that was a great scene. It was fantastic. Great, but you know the new Avengers has they introduce X Men now with with what's his face Kick Ass, Kick Ass. What's his face who played Kick Ass? He's now. Uh, oh yeah, well he's Quicksilver. He's well, no, he's he, yes, but the, he's the brother of Elizabeth Olsen. Correct, but in the movie something bad happens to right, him. But this is the question. Is his Quicksilver better than the Quicksilver in the X-Men movie? It's the same superhero. Yes. It's the same Marvel character. But do you realize why there are two of them? This is, this is confusing a lot of people. People are like... Wait, wait, wait what, do you, what do you mean why there are two of them? Why are there two of them? They're two different... Okay. Quicksilver in the Marvel comics is one superhero. Yeah, he's some dude named John Smith, whatever his right, name is. Right, right. Okay. That guy in the, in the last X-Men film is Quicksilver. Right. And that character in the new Avengers film right. is Quicksilver. Sure. It's the same superhero. It's, it's, two, it's two competing movie studios. That's what yes. it is. They don't care. But do you know how that happened? Because obviously you can't have Thor show up in the X-Men film and, and you can't have you know, Magneto show up in the Avengers. How did that happen? How it happened is this. Um, Quicksilver is a character who is technically a mutant and he's part of the X-Men but he also cross-pollinates into all these other Avengers and, and other Marvel stories. So because of that, he lives in both worlds. And even though Fox has the rights to use him, they only have the right to use him so long as he's a mutant. If Marvel introduces Quicksilver in one of their films and gives him an origin story that does not make him a mutant, in this case, you know, they have a new origin story for him, they can use Quicksilver as well. Really? Isn't that silly? How'd you find out that? Oh, I've, I've been geeking out all week on this stuff. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. A spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Pause your iPhone. Yes. Whatever. Not that you haven't seen Avengers 2, because you have. He dies at the end. 
Yeah. So, problem solved? <laughs> I guess. You know, who knows? Anyway, all right, let me, uh, let me rock. But the other Quicksilver was better. Yeah, well, there you go. So, uh, real quickly, another show, uh, Unforgettable, third season, totally forgettable show. Uh, you know, it just when you when you name a show unforgettable, you're really kind of asking for it. There is almost nothing on here really that's worthwhile. I got a gag reel and some deleted scenes. Otherwise, uh, it's you know it, it's a cop show that has only one interesting twist, which is that this uh, the, the, you know Poppy Montgomery is the actress who plays this uh, this cop in New York. Uh, she's got this like perfect memory, and it never really works because the whole perfect memory thing has so many holes in it. And and they never, it just it just it, it's it's just too contrived. It's it's a nice idea, and but once you really drill down into it, it just doesn't work. Uh, then we've also got Mr. Bean, the whole Bean remastered 25th anniversary Lame. collection. You I, love defi- that. You I love definitely it. recommend double dipping on this. Lame. Um, the previous release was was uh, wonderful, of course, but not well mastered. It, it really kind of dingy. British television look. They've done a great job here. All fourteen episodes, uh, as pristine as you're probably ever going to get it. So, uh, short of this thing showing up on Blu-ray, which I do not expect ever, uh, I would say definitely run out and get this uh, Great Shot Factory release. Definitely worth picking up. Uh, Mister Mister Bean getting into uh, getting in and out of his bathing suit is one of the funniest things in the history of television, and I love that car. Uh, we also have the complete series of Parenthood. Six seasons, 103 episodes, more than I ever imagined this thing would last. Uh, A good friend of mine was a uh, producer-director on this show, Larry Trilling, from high school and from uh, film school. Uh, And uh, it really, you know what? Solid, totally solid. Uh, Even though it came years after the movie, it kind of forged its own identity and uh, did a very, very good job of it. So I have to say I applaud them, and they did a good job. But it wasn't like the movie. It's, that's the thing. It, it forged its own identity. It's not, it's not like the movie. And but the it movie's very funny. Be. The movie's very funny. Great but this cast. Is, this is kind of 30-something-ish in some ways. It's a, it's a little bit of a more light, light. frothy, cotton candy. Uh, but it's, it, it, it's, it's like pre-30-something. It's like 20-something. It's like family-something. It's like pre-family-something. Yeah. Midnight Special Wait from the early 70s. Oh, awesome I love this. Show. I love this. A little bit, it's, not, it's, a little bit, it's not before our time, but let's say that we were really, really young. I used to watch this after the goodies, Saturday nights. Oh my God, uh, this is great. It was Friday nights at one a.m. I was not up for any of this. I don't know how Wade watched it, but I remember watching it in reruns years later. Uh, three DVDs, fifty performances, including uh, Hart and Santana, Linda Ronstadt, Van Morrison. Also, uh, they had a lot of comedians on the show. Tons. And here you get uh, Steve Martin, George Carlin, Billy Crystal, Richard Pryor, Joan Rivers, and uh, a lot more. It's great. Midnight special. It's a DVD, not a Blu-ray. What are you gonna do? That's it. Love it. Midnight special. Lasted for a lot of years. Love it. All right, Mark, you're going to kill me. Why is that? Because I've got Battlestar Galactica, the original, the only, the real version of Battlestar Galactica on Blu-ray. It rules. Lame. It's the best. Lame. Screw all that all, other all, new all the, stuff. All the, when I was a kid, I used to draw the, um, the ship on all my notebooks. Oh, really? I did. Did you? But only in profile. Mm-hmm. I was such a horrible and which And which ship was it? The Galactica or the Pegasus? It was one of the, like the little ships that they would sit in. It was it was almost oh, like the oh, Battlestar version. You, you drew Vipers of the X Wing fighters, like the yeah, X Wing yeah, fighter yeah. Battlestar. Vipers are cooler. Let me see. Google Vipers that, are cooler. Google. Uh, no, here this is a Viper. Here, right on the back. Picture. That's a Viper. That thing. Yeah, that <laughs> thing. Glasses. The Viper. That's what it was. Really, was that it? Yeah, that's what. Oh, it was. and I had a model of this. What, what, what's that? Is that the Battlestar Galactica? Yeah. Where my thumb is. Yes, exactly. I, I, I had a model of that. Sweet, right? Totally. Because uh, I went. I, I used to go to Aero uh, Models. 
right? Arrow Hobbies. Arrow Hobbies on Wilshire Boulevard. Gary at Arrow Hobbies. Yeah, Gary died. Talking. Did you know that Gary died? I did not. Isn't that sad? I also, by, also, by the way, this is back towards the very end of my model-making career. Anyone who set foot in Arrow Hobbies, certified geek card. Right there. I, that's me. I was in I know, hobbies. I know. And by the way, at the end of my hobby, uh, and at the end of my, my model career, yep. I went to the um, Save-On on Santa Monica Boulevard and 26th Street. Uh-huh. They had a, uh, a little model, you know, plastic model of the Starship Enterprise. Sure. Shoplifted it. Thief. <laughs> I remember I put it in my business. How many years ago? Was I put it in my backpack mm-hmm. as if I'm like Mr. Slick Johnny, but shoplifting a, a Starship Enterprise uh, model. And this woman says to me something like, how dare you? Or can you be more obvious or something like that? Like she knew I was shoplifting it. And of course, I was completely indignant. What are you talking about, lady? I'm completely innocent. How dare you? And then I ran out of the store. And then what really killed me is that I went home with my shoplifted Starship Enterprise model and I put gluing it together, screwed it up. (laughs) Didn't come out. All right. Well, speaking of, Battlestar Galactica, the original series is now out, and you've got two flavors you can get this in, and this is fantastic. Uh, this is the first time the series has ever been available in widescreen. I say again, the first time the series has ever been available in widescreen, and that's pretty great because you get to watch it in the full Blu-ray magic on your, uh, your fabulous uh, widescreen television. Uh, you can get it in just the Battlestar Galactica, the remastered collection, which is a widescreen of the original series and Galactica 1980, the complete series, which was terrible. Galactica 1980 was just an embarrassment. Dr. Z and all that nonsense. It was, it was a strange way of trying to perpetuate the series by not spending any money on it. You know, fish out of water stuff. They come to Earth and, uh, you know, don't really blend in. It was Crocodile Dundee with guys from the Galactica. Anyway, uh, the better one to get is Battlestar Galactica, the definitive collection. Uh, which includes Battlestar Galactica, the original series, Galactica 1980, and the original Battlestar Galactica movie, all of it in both widescreen and full screen. And uh, that's pretty cool. So uh, obviously the movie, not in, not in full screen, but uh, this is great. And the extras that you get here, it's the same bonus features in, uh, in both cases. Uh, great 45-minute retrospective documentary. Glenn Larson, who is now deceased, obviously talking about Battlestar Galactica. Uh, other featurettes, uh, audio commentary on the pilot, some deleted scenes, and a really, really great little segment uh, of Stu Phillips talking about the score. And what a great score. People oh, just ripped true. on it at the time for being kind of derivative of Star Wars. But tell me, it's not one of the great all-time themes. It just is. It just is. Great all time. I mean, it's fine. Oh. It's very triumphant with the big trumpet. Come on. Starbuck. You know what? You know what? I I I, I bet Feldergarb. I bet you Let's could play pyramid. The uh, Night Rider theme with Battlestar Galactica. No. Don't like the Night Rider theme. But again, Glenn Larson and you know also Stu Phillips. So yeah, whatever. All right, well, carry on. Um, let me just uh, nail a couple of these real quickly. We got some uh, other shows that are kind of negligible. New CW series, the second season of Beauty and the Beast. I don't know why they thought that this would be uh, successful in any way whatsoever. Uh, this is not at all the better Beauty and the Beast uh, with Ron Perlman and uh, and Linda Hamilton that was kind of a big deal in the 1980s. That was a much better show. That's not what this is. This is... This is this is completely not 
even Beauty and the Beast. This is just uh, your average run-of-the-mill CW show, and it's I find the title deceptive. Um, Tandy Newton in Rogue, the complete second season. Um, Tandy Newton is better than this. I love. Oh, she's so delicious. She's better than this. It's how how hot was Tandy Newton in Mission Impossible oh, too? Fantastic. When she drives in that car up the, the mountain road, the best. Oh, so gorgeous. She's she's better than this. This is uh, you know this is kind of a, a, a cop intrigue show. It, it we'll see where it goes. I I don't know. It it doesn't. It does just doesn't feel like it's going to go anywhere in particular. It feels like. So-so. Uh, and then uh, we also have uh, Welcome to Sweden, the complete first season. We've been is, to Sweden. Uh, well, this is, this is an Amy Poehler-produced uh, thing, which uh, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Uh, it, it's, it's funny. It's quirky. It feels very kind of uh, modern family. And what was the Jason Bateman thing? Arrested Development. Arrested Development. It feels some like it kind of sits somewhere in that, uh, in that vein. Um, Where's the show? I, I didn't see it. The, ABC, CBS, ABC Family, Netflix. Uh, you know, that's a good question. By the way, did you hear that Sofia Vergara is has a new series with her son? No. You know where she's doing it? No. Snapchat. You're kidding. She's doing a Snapchat show. Really? Now, I don't know. I, I don't know if, if that means the show's 10 seconds or and then it disappears. I don't know how that happens. Huh. But it sounds horrible. Thank wow. you. No, actually, I have no idea where, the, where this uh, where this airs on. Because you know, stuff, there's there's stuff now that's like original programming on Hulu and original programming on Crackle. I can't I can't keep track of stuff anymore. Yeah, but that stuff's good though. You know why? It's not all like the network crap. No, I know, I know, I know. But I just I just can't keep track of it. So anyway, uh, no, the, the whole idea here is that uh, you got this guy who's an accountant and he's got a Swedish girlfriend and they're relocating from uh, New York to Sweden. And you know it's the usual fish out of water stuff. It's it, it a little bit Green Acre ish, kind of a little bit uh, uh, Northern Exposure ish. So we'll see. I it it, it it may have may have legs, may have legs long term. It's a good cast, so we'll see. Wade Murder in the First is a TNT show, and uh, this thing is uh, it's just you know what? Look, it's Stephen Bochco. I get it. It's great to see him back, but. You know, these murder and these season long murder anthology arcs, you know, I mean, yeah. it's it getting tiresome. I know, I, mean, I agree. It's just like another guy that doing something. Who the hell cares? Here they're chasing after the couple murders. They both murders wind up having some connection to a uh, CEO of a Silicon Valley a tech company. And, uh, you know, this is just, I just started skimming this thing. It just was like, okay, I guess another one. <laughs> um, TN, some of these TNT shows, they're kind of like the USA shows. They're just very generic and nondescript, and they look glossy, and they're professionally done, but there's just nothing special there. It just feels like filler. I agree. Wait, you don't agree, Wade. You Mr. Ed. <gasps> Final season of Mr. Ed. Mr. Ed. Awesome. Final season's kind of threadbare. I got. I got to be honest. It's pretty thin stuff. Uh, it, it, it. You just feel. You feel that television's moving on and leaving this show behind. Uh, logistics just aren't aren't there. But anyway, the final season of Mister Ed is out there. And then I got to say, Mark, the Colbys. Oh, we did. The, yeah. the tell complete, me, you didn't, tell me you didn't love this. show. The complete series of the Colbys. No. You know. No. The, honestly, this is. There's, I we could do a whole show on the phenomenon of the Colbys because <laughs> no we couldn't no because truly a short show here's here's the thing you know the Colbys was first of all you, you, Dallas started everything right it did didn't it Dallas yeah. I still remember the day that Dallas I remember the day I was sitting there it was a Friday evening we'd just gotten done watching Dukes of Hazard or some damn thing and then Dallas comes on it was the first episode 
And I can't remember what it displaced. It displaced something that I was expecting to come on. And then there's this thing called Dallas. You know, and I didn't know what this was. And there's, you know, Larry Hagman. And I thought, oh, I like Larry Hagman. He's a guy from Mad Dream of Genie. I love him. He looks old now, but whatever. I'll keep watching. And it just was so cheesy and, and so dirty. It just felt grimy and it just, it was so. Yeah, but that, it was. But if and, you, no, and then suddenly, and then suddenly there's Knott's Landing spinning off from Dallas. And then there's Dynasty, which is trying to be even more salacious than, than Dallas. And then suddenly Dynasty just goes off the rails. And you're having episodes with cat fights between Linda Evans and, uh, and, and, and what's her name? Uh, the, the, the Joan Collins. Yeah, Joan Collins. And, and then they spin off into the Colbys. And this show was truly campy on a level that is just not to be believed. And then, you know, you wind up throwing Charlton Heston into the mix, and it's like, Charlton Heston on television? And Ricardo Montalban? And what are you what are you doing? Where is this coming from? And um, you, you do remember, there's a, a UFO abduction on this show. I did not remember that. that people, I, mean, I still remember that, and people were just like, What? Whose idea was this? Where did this come from? Is it? Are you that short of good ideas? A UFO abduction? On what? It just made no sense. There it is. I met this. Um... So the Colonies, the complete series, is in, and uh, it, it's just it's hysterical. It's this... terrible, but it's hilarious. I met, I met this guy last night. Cast interviews is the only bonus on this. Met this guy last night. He was a writer on Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, and Taxi. Oh my gosh, he must be rich beyond his wildest dreams. I don't know about that part. He's, but, getting, uh, he's, he's making he's, getting a lot of residuals. He's a he's a big he's a kind of a borscht belty guy. Good. Well, went to his sixties. A lot of energy. He said how Happy Days was a happy set. Laverne and Shirley not a happy set. And uh, didn't talk much about taxi. I wound up leaving. I, you know, you probably got that Facebook thing where um, a, a, a friend of Zach and I uh, died of a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. Axel, that Axel. John Axelson. John Axelson. John Axelson was my supervisor. He was my number two on the man show. Oh, wow. And I hired him for, to be my number two on the man show. Wow, that's and he was, uh he was amazing. He was great. He was my muscle. It was a miserable show, but he was my muscle. He had my back the whole time. Mm. And um, so he... Uh, anyway, so... I met him. There was a, not a memorial, but we got together at a bar down the street to hoist a, I, I hoist saw a pint to John. I saw that. And this guy was there. And he he knew John, and he wrote for uh, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley and Taxi. And he was, he's great sense of humor. He's not bitter about where TV's gone today. He loves some of the shows today. You know, doesn't like some of them, but uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun and a great tribute to John Axelson, who was a great producer and a great friend and really just a... Just a big, burly, beefy, cigar-chomping muscle guy. Wow. Well, let's let's finish off television, and uh, we should say we are not going to have a show next week. because uh, Because of you. Because Mark's, uh, Mark's got a big shindig in New York, so Mark will be out of town next week. The reason why I couldn't see Mad Max is the same reason why yeah. we're not going to have a show next week. So uh, Mark, will be, uh, Mark will be cavorting and doing things, and, and it's just as well because I've got uh, – I've got uh, – Big film week with Tim this week, and then uh, Tim and I are doing three audio commentaries for Cohen next week. Really? Yep. We got a we got a big big day, what? so I got a I got a lot of prep for that. How so the Digi Gods don't do commentaries anymore. 
Well, I'll I'll drag you. See, we always do the, the comment. Cohen needs the commentaries done usually, you know, on a timetable that does not accommodate you. That's not true. It you does. never tell. You never made the offer. I do. You no. You never like Mark. If you can figure this out in two weeks, we could do it together. You never said that. Well, well, the next time <laughs> you it comes want down the well, you want Tim to do because Tim's all like learned and I'm like a big dork. Well, no, it's in this case. In this case, it's uh, it's it's a, it's a certain French director that Tim Watch actually Tim actually knows more about than I do. In any, case, in any case, carry on. Uh, Boardwalk Empire complete series. I'm a big fan of these complete series Blu-ray sets. You know, I, I don't know. I just am. I, I want my Star Trek: The Next Generation complete series set. I'm going to get it one day. Wait, tell me when. Fifty-six episodes, nineteen discs, four hours of bonus content. It's just it's great, great stuff. A lot of this, a lot of the bonus content was on the other. Um, this show series. went. This show went out exactly at the right time. Too. That's right, Nucky. Sure did, Nucky. Yep. Uh, it's great. You know what? It was it was a bit of a surprise winner for Golden Globe. It uh, the first couple seasons were the were the ones where you thought, oh my god, this thing is amazing. Last season and a half, two seasons, not that it wasn't great, but it wasn't the fresh, new, exciting thing anymore. But that doesn't mean that the episodes weren't any good because they were. And of course, they did a lot of fun name dropping, like uh, you know Al Capone and Lucky Luciano. So uh, it was just great. And Steve Buscemi is just it, this really is. With the with the with the except for, although when you think about it, he's had an amazing career. Except for um, Big Lebowski and Fargo, this is the role for which he will be always remembered. True, you know, Very so true. It's well worth it. Yep. Unless you already own all the individual season sets, in which case, what's the point? And then uh, Curtis Fifty Cent Jackson uh, is the muscle behind the show Power on Stars, which uh, has now has its first season out on Blu-ray. Um, I uh, did not catch this first time around, so catching up with it, I got to say I'm kind of guardedly impressed. Um, we'll see where it goes, but I, you know, he's 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 more he's more than meets the eye. Fifty Cent, like Transformers. Yeah, he's more than meets the eye. Fifty Cent. Uh, so this will, we'll see how this. You know, the show was created. Not cre- he didn't create the show. He's just producing it. Created by uh, Courtney Kemp uh, Agbo. But uh, it's you know it's tough and it's it's a good crime drama and it's good production value and it's a solid cast and it's it's edgy and Stars is doing some interesting things. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, that's on Blu-ray. It's got a few special features, uh, mostly featurettes. But it's uh, we'll see. You know, this is this. I think this could have legs if they really if they really maintain this this strain. It could have legs. All right, Mark. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna crank through a whole bunch. I gotta no 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 anime. I'm gonna blow through some anime. Oh, you'll blow it, all right. I'll blow through some anime, and then we'll get into uh, the other new movies this week. We've got, you know, Mordecai and Cobbler and a whole bunch of stuff that's just a couple of, couple of Oscar winners as well. We're still getting those trickling in. Uh, from Funimation, Tokyo Ravens, which is uh, not a bad show. Uh, the whole magical clan concept to it is a little bit confusing, but it, it, uh, it's, it's not bad. Uh, it's kind of Harry Potter-ish, you know, these kids that do magic, and it's, you know, it, it, takes, a, it takes a little bit to it sort of get... Village? Yeah, it takes a village. Uh, Funimation is also releasing uh, a lot of stuff in their anime classics line. And uh, that includes season one on uh, Blu-ray and DVD of Black Butler, which is gorgeous animation. Uh, and then they've also got in the same line Darker Than Black, continuing this, uh, this, this you know, black theme with uh, anime classics. Darker Than Black, Gemini of the Meteor. Isn't that a typical anime title? In a world. Gemini of the Meteor. Uh, all of this stuff is is very. 
the, the, it, it takes a lot to really uh, figure out the world. And then uh, noir, which I thought was noir is really kind of cool. The whole uh, assassin thing. This is you know it's like chick assassins. It's pretty cool. It's it's very uh, kind of Kill Billish. Um, I, I really dug it. That one and that one's not overly violent it's kind of acceptably violent you know it doesn't sort of get into that gory place that some anime gets to where somebody gets shot and it's just blood and guts and dismemberment and okay akira yeah uh let's see what else i'll go through really quickly the complete series of defrag uh this is a little bit high energy but uh it's you know fun ish i guess uh dot hack completely People tell me that this is like a thing, and uh, so I don't understand what the thing is. It's completely off the off the off the wall. I, but here's what we get from Dot Hack: we get three complete Dot Hack series. Dot Hack uh, Legend of the Twilight, the complete series. Dot Hack Sign, the complete series, and Dot Hack Roots, the complete series. Uh, I have uh, struggled in vain. I have gone to Wikipedia pages to try to figure out exactly what it is that, that ties all this stuff together, and, and I make no sense of it. Uh, so I'm I'm utterly unqualified. I am uh, a plebe, as Mark would say, when it comes to this thing. But for those who understand this, there it is. Uh, we also have something else that makes no sense to me, but the animation is pretty cool. Uh, Yakitate uh, Japan, part one and part two. Uh, it's supposed to be funny, I guess, and uh, on some level, I guess it probably is, but, you know, this also doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, from Sente Filmworks through Section 23 is The the World God Only Knows, Goddesses. This is Season 3, and then we also have from Sente Filmworks, uh, Nobunaga the Fool. Uh, this is episodes uh, 1 through 13 of the first season. Then we've got uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, Zexal, season 1. Six-disc set from uh, Cynodyme, part of their Flatiron series. Let's see. I want to get to a couple of things I want to talk about. Oh, oh Capellian, the complete series, combo pack on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, that's really interesting. That's really cool animation. It's kind of near near-future... Uh, quasi post-apocalyptic Japan um, but really interesting really conceptually very interesting animation is just absolutely first rate I'm going to talk about that one separately uh, Bubblegum Crisis Tokyo 2040 from Funimation on DVD only not on Blu-ray unfortunately uh, The Familiar of Zero Night of the Twin Moons the complete collection that's also from Sente Filmworks that is, that is sensational looking this is uh, you know Obviously, more of the nubile young girls thing that you get in a lot of the stuff from Sente, but uh, you know, nice, nice, cool twelve episode contained little series. Um, Michiko and Hatchin from Funimation. This is uh, this is just completely wild and off the hook animation. Uh, that one for people who want things, something that's a little more animation aggression and more aggressive animation. That's worth checking out. On Blu-ray, not on, not on Blu-ray, sorry, not on Blu-ray, the complete collection of Sayuki, 50 episodes from the uh, two seasons of that show. Um, hang on, I'm going to get here to the uh, important stuff in just a moment. All right, here we go, coming down to the end. Uh, yeah, these are the three biggies. So here are the three that I really want to spend just a moment on. Devil Survivor 2, the animation, the complete collection. Um this is this is uh, 
this is one of the the more intelligently written things. Uh, this is a uh, this is kind of a uh, it's an alien invasion scenario, and uh, you know Japan. I don't want to. I don't want to say it's like uh, like V. It's not really like V. It's Nothing almost, is like V. Wayne. It's almost. It's a little bit like. It, I guess Transformers is maybe kind of touches on the same invasion concept. Uh, a little bit the same dynamic. Anyway, um, this is about the 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 group that helps humanity fight back against the invasion, the Devil Summoners. And uh, they're they're not really superheroes per se, but uh, they are they like channel demons, and uh, that's the whole concept between Devil Survivor too. As as much as it has a world that is like most other anime worlds, where it's very extreme and very aggressive, and there's a lingo and there's all these there's a whole all these different machinations going on. This one's very accessible and really intelligently written. Uh, for fans of the whole Pot Labor series, Pot Labor the movie is out from the Made in Japan line. Uh, really, really awesome. This is uh, directed by uh, Mamoru Oshii, who did uh, Ghost in the Shell. And uh, it has the same style, the same sensibilities, and uh, it's beautiful. Really, really nicely done. I'm not a huge fan. The Pot Labor thing just goes on and on and on, but that one's really cool. And then, of course, Mark, my favorite, what the happened? original, the one and only, on Blu-ray, from Sente Filmworks, Ninja Scroll, baby. Yeah. There it is, Ninja Scroll on Blu-ray. Section is uh, Sente Filmworks. Uh, it just doesn't get any better than Ninja Scroll. Ninja Scroll is sort of the pinnacle of all the anime movies that have been set in Japan's feudal past. Ninja Scroll is the one that just does it right. There is no equal. It's, I'd say, one of, arguably one of the ten best anime feature films of all time. On Blu-ray, can't get any better than that. It's just superb. Absolutely brilliant. Um, all right, Mark. Um, let us get into some uh, drugs. Yeah, absolutely. It feels really? like that. Let's do some uh, some new movies. Um, yeah, let's. Uh, you want to start with that one? If you like. Yes, please. You know, I'm 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 really getting to like Kevin Costner again. He was Kevin Costner, and then he was a little bit like lame. And now he's getting into his, like, a grizzled, uh, you know, younger, older man phase. And I'm uh, kind of digging it. Yeah, his, his ego has, it took a bath. <laughs> and he's now having to sort of be a normal guy again, right? He's kind of, uh, he, he's, he's, he's no longer taking, he's no longer trying to be, you know, Johnny Waterworld or the Postman. <laughs> I like the Postman. I love the Postman, but <laughs> it's, it's really a movie that never should have been made. <laughs> I admit that. I, did. I, love, I love the movie, you know, but it well, never here, should have been made. Well, here he does a, uh, a very provocative film that isn't always successful, but you gotta you gotta give it a point for trying. Um, called Black or White, Mike Binder, who uh, I think is a pretty talented guy. I, I would like to. He did Rain Over, over Rain Over Me with uh, Adam Sandler, which I liked a lot. I, I, um, I liked I liked a, I've liked a lot of Mike Binder's stuff. I, and, I agree. He's a little bit like he's one of those guys where he's got a lot of talent, but somehow he has yeah. not. Put it together into that one film that everybody talks about, gets a Best Supporting Actress nomination, really sort of launches him. Um, anyway, uh, Costner and uh, Costner plays a grandfather, and he winds up in a custody dispute over their granddaughter. And, of course, the granddaughter is, uh, is African-American, and Costner, of course, is white. So winds up being this uh, very interesting take on race relations and, and parental responsibility and that kind of stuff. So I, I really appreciate it. it some, sometimes it wore its op-ed on its sleeve, 
Yeah. And that's really never a good thing. Um, and sometimes it's a little bit, you know, it's it's got it's a little bit a little bit a little bit uh, what what's the word? Uh, bathos. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's hearts in the right place. I like the fact that it tackled a very uh, difficult issue. Probably thought if it was a little bit better, maybe you'd release it at the end of the year, might get a screenplay nomination, that kind of thing, touch a chord, you know, become like this launching pad for a national conversation. Yep. In the end, it did none of that. So it kind of just fell away. But it's a good film. I mean, it's, it's not a good film. It's not Binder's best film. But I appreciate the fact that he, as they say, went there. Well, Binder previously worked with Costner on The Upside of Anger, and I should I, 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 I did a – I was in the one of the featurettes for The Upside of Anger um, – which was like a decade ago. It kind of freaks me out a little bit. But uh, they have a good relationship. It's not a bad film at all. I, 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 it kind of ripped a little bit from people saying it was too on the nose or whatever. But, you know, um, now, Mark, if, if, if you, we talked about black or white. If you mix black and white, what do you get? You get gray. Oh, how many shades of gray? Seven. The thing with Fifty Shades of Grey is that here's, here's, the th- here's the thing with Fifty Shades of Grey, which, by the way, I, I saw the screening with myself, of course. Thank you very much. Mark goes to the, uh, the woman's erotic film of the, of the century by himself. And there's all these hot girls in the screening room, all these hot girls. It was at the, uh, Chinese, is at the uh, Chinese. So and, embarrassing. Uh, no. These, these, to them, it was like a night out at the movies with their girlfriends. It was the hottest girls. Anyway, what I'm saying is the problem with Fifty Shades of Grey is not that it's bad is that it's not bad enough. The thing is that the movie is just good enough where you wind up considering it as a film yeah. as opposed to dismissing it as a film, right? Yeah. So it's not good, but it's just sort of like average. And for a film like this, let's face it, average is a bit of a triumph. This, of course, is based on the best-selling novel. Um, uh, Dakota Johnson's a star. She's great, perfect. Uh, the guy, Jamie Dornan, miscast, throws off no heat, uh, no no danger. I just thought it was just a poor choice. I mean, I really, what this role should have been was Christian Bale in um, uh, American Psycho. Right. Like that Christian totally. Bale, right? Yeah. He's feral. He's charming, very handsome, dangerous. He can talk a woman into bed. He's He, he can manipulate a woman. That, that's, that's what you needed Jamie Dornan not that guy mm-hmm. so um, she's great he's miscast uh, the movie is just it's just as cheesy and ridiculously loony as you would imagine but you know it's got some good stuff in it you know it's just ultimately the thing is that I was I was really hoping it would be like Showgirls yeah, no, it's, it's like the, just a campy no. horrible classic no. the thing is that the movie's actually decent enough where yeah. you can almost go okay I can I can evaluate this as a film not as a piece of crap. I, I this thing started off as Twilight fan fiction of all I things. Know, I know it's just crazy. And you know what's funny? The characters are stolen from Secretary. Yeah, the James uh, Spader's Maggie character Gyllenhaal was film. yeah. But James Spader's. I mean, it's the same plot, and James Spader was gray, and that was his name in the film. It's like, how do you? It's just I, why is no one suing? I don't understand. And, and you know what? The, and by the way, in the film, just to put it out there, the sex is so chaste. I mean, you know what? Look, come on, people. You know, maybe it was a dangerous book, you know, but in the movie, when you're trying to avoid like an NC-17 or whatever it is, it's, oh, gee, she she gets strapped to a bed. Yeah. Fantastic. I can see that on the Cartoon Network. 
You know what I mean? It's just the, 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 the sex really is not even remotely erotic. So I'm going to rip through a few here real quickly. Oh, uh, rip all right. Ryan Gosling's writing directing debut, Lost River, uh, was this supposed to This thing was just man. destroyed. Oh, the critics just viciously attacked this. And th- this happens every so often. I remember it can when Johnny Depp uh, had his directing debut. And my gosh, that thing was so horrendous. And you would think, oh, Johnny Depp and uh, Marlon Brando together again. Uh, you know, Don Juan DeMarco. That's great. No, it was just Horrendous! It was like two hours of Johnny Depp playing in, uh, a Native American, just walking and walking and walking and building playgrounds. And the idea is, you know, he was gonna, he was gonna, he was selling himself to a snuff film to Marlon Brando in order to help his family not fall into poverty. Dreadful movie. Anyway, Lost River is not that bad, but it's just not good. Ryan Ryan Gosling is not a writer. Um, this is meant to be this kind of, uh, you know, sort of uh, fam- rural family. Quasi gothic uh, mystery thriller, the you know the the river and the river has this history and this woman and her children and you know they get sort of sucked into the the, the this whole in web of intrigue and it never really makes sense. It's way over stylized. It's extremely drawn out and it just um, you know I, I I hope someone lets Ryan Gosling direct again, but he really shouldn't be writing and directing. This is uh, not his forte. Uh, Tracers is about as much acting as Taylor Lautner really should do, and that is to say uh, it's mostly stunts. Uh, Here's the the idea behind Tracers. He's horrible. The idea behind Tracers is they said, hey, why don't we do a knockoff of Fast and the Furious? Great idea. Let's do a knockoff Fast and the Furious. Uh, But we can't afford any cars. You can't afford cars? Well, how are we going to do a knockoff of Fast and the Furious if we don't have cars? How about they do parkour? What a great idea. It's like Fast and the Furious, except with parkour instead of cars. Like if they lost their cars and they, the only way they can, they can actually do what they do is parkour. So it's, that's, it's, that's it. It's a documentary? Uh, no. It's just uh, Taylor Lautner's a guy with a little bit of, you know, he's, he's just trying to sort of get his life together and make things happen right for his mom. And, you know, he, he's a little bit of a delinquent, but he's really a good guy. And he falls in with these guys who basically do, they're, they're burglars. They do crime with parkour. They break into things. And then there are a few just ridiculous twists. And, of course, there's a girl and a guy. And uh, the only reason to see this thing is for the parkour, which is fun, which is good. I mean, the, the parkour is really impressive. And Taylor Lautner does all of his own stunts. And that's very impressive. So I, I give him kudos for doing that. He's still not a very good actor. But he doesn't have to do a lot of acting here. He just has to be you know, buff and do flips and rolls and all that diving through windows and all that stuff. Uh, still Alice is the essentially... TV movie that won uh, Julianne Moore her long overdue Academy Award for Best oh, Actress. Oh, how dare you! Well, here's the thing: it it you know Alec Baldwin plays her husband, and it's got star power, and it it's still the director recently passed away too, which is very sad. Uh, if not for Julianne Moore, this would have been a movie on Lifetime. It would have, uh, you know. Well, the whole it, the, you know the whole movie is just enormous scaffolding to support. Her performance. It is. Now, I'll say this. It, basically, it's about a woman who, uh, a, a professor, a college professor, who comes down with early, alzheimer's, uh, early onset Alzheimer's. And uh, it, it, that would normally be just a ridiculous, saccharine, lifetime movie of the week. But Julianne Moore takes the thing so seriously that she, she just wraps this otherwise very, very pedestrian plot around her. And delivers an unbelievable performance. It is every bit as Oscar-worthy as... You know, the I mean, it won the Oscar deservedly. However, 
and I can say this because I've, you know, I'm my family and I know many other families have dealt with dementia and it hits really close to the bone. If you've ever had a loved one with dementia, you watch this movie and you just say, I've been there, I've been there, I've seen that, we've gone through that. It just, it hits those beats really honestly. But not because the the story is that honest. It's because she's honest in the way that she portrays it. And she really, really, really pegs it right to the to the mat. So if ever there were a movie where the performance elevates at 150%, this is the one. So I got to say... Bosworth? Yeah, see, I mean, yeah, see there, see there, it's just the, all the, all the supporting stuff in the movie is not great. And some of the family Alec stuff Baldwin. is, he's really good. Yeah. Yeah. He's so, I good. mean, she, she and Alec Baldwin make this movie and especially Julianne Moore. She just is magnificent. Um, extras here uh, include some deleted scenes, really pointless to watch those. Uh, an interview with uh, Ilan Eshkari, who was the composer. And a, uh, a special feature uh, called Finding Alice, which is very, very good, where they talk about um, you know, early onset Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's in general, and they include discussions from experts and so forth. So, uh, and it's also nice, too, that um, the uh, Alzheimer's Association was very supportive of the film. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to it's, – it'll help. It'll definitely help. So it's, it, I don't like being critical of this film. I'm grateful that it's there, but, you know. It is but all about Julianne horrible, Moore. But you're a horrible person. I am. I'm a terrible person. Uh, Way the Cobbler is a very disappointing film, uh, not because it's an Adam Sandler film, because all Adam Sandler films are disappointing. But uh, it was directed by Tom McCarthy. So this is a, so sad. This what is, what happened? He just he was batting a thousand, and then you know, he, he had Win Win and Station Agent, and uh, and then this is terrible. Uh, Adam Sandler. I, I guess Tom McCarthy wanted to be the guy to rehabilitate Adam Sandler. Just didn't work. Uh, weird premise it's uh sandler plays this i think it's like a fourth generation cobbler who realizes that he could like become transform into like any of the customers whose shoes he fixes okay exactly it's, it's, a, it's based on a true story um what should have been an interesting exploration of whoever he decides to inhabit winds up being just a big parlor trick i, I just wrote i really thought it should have been a charming little fantasy i guess it's just Winds up being nothing but a gimmick. Um, really very disappointing. Thin story. It's not that funny. He, you know, he's trying to tamp it down, which is nice, but still, it's just, uh, it's just crazy. Just not a good film. The Cobbler. Uh, Mordecai is uh, hopefully the final nail in Johnny Depp's coffin because I'm tired of him. Man, I, you know, this tired is such a missed opportunity. He, he's just doing that, like, he's doing a Terry Thomas impression that is so hackneyed. And everybody else is just along for the ride. Why is Jeff Goldblum in this movie? I don't understand. Because he's awesome. This is directed by David Kep, who uh, has done a bunch of good stuff in the past. Surprisingly good. He did that bike movie, which was a lot of fun. What was that bike movie with a a, a premium rush? Well, yeah, but Kep Kep was also, you know, he did, yeah. Sure, Jurassic Park. Yes, uh, he was one of the legendary screenwriters of the 80s. He had his hands in everything. Oh, I have my hands in everything, Wade. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, uh, not going to look. Not looking. Not Not going to do it. Not Not going to do it. Um, you know, let me let me talk about American Sniper for a second. Uh, I, I was hoping to kind of end the show on this, but this is where we got a few other things we got to we got to do if we're gonna you know make this worth two weeks worth. Um, American Sniper uh, has unfortunately continues to be caught in a whole just maelstrom of 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 conflicts. 
they, they keep trying to screen this thing on campuses and people protest and say it's Islamophobic and it's become real political football, this movie. It glorifies war and so forth. I, I guess, Eastwood did not look at it like that. It, I, he, he made a movie about a, about a guy who's a sniper. That's people, it. Are, people are projecting things on this and a lot of it, a lot of it has admittedly to do with the fact that um, Fox News has politicized the movie to some degree, you know, uh, and and Chris Kyle showed up before he was killed. He showed up on, you know, a lot of right-wing outlets and sort of, you know, his his book and the Jesse Ventura issue, you know, the the, the lawsuit and his widow, and it just, it's become this, it's really become kind of a salacious narrative. And uh, people need to distance themselves from all of that and just understand the fact that, for, forget about what the real-life implications are, Here's, here's the movie that Eastwood made. Eastwood made a really interesting movie that really fundamentally has nothing to do with the Iraq War. Uh, and it's an incredibly well-made movie. I mean, this was the number one make grossing film of last year. You realize that? That is, well, yeah. It, it, a real movie, a mid-level budget movie by an 80-year-old director made for grown-ups, not for kids, became the number one film of last year. Because it, be, it struck a chord with the type of... Uh, middle-aged, white, middle-America audience who, who thinks that Hollywood is filled with them liberals. But more than that, here's, here's, here's the thing. I, what Eastwood made is a movie that, that taps into something that is common for every soldier who has ever been deployed ever in any country anywhere in the world. And that is that you're caught between two families. You've got the family that you're fighting for and the family you're fighting with, who is also a family that you're fighting for. It's the band of brothers versus your actual biological family. And that tension is what drives this film. But you know what? And it's fascinating. And I think he does a really great job of it. I've never seen a film that captured that as well as this does. It's the first film that has ever really, I think, isolated that dynamic. So not for a moment did I ever think, oh, this movie, you know, it's just, it's just a, it's a big war statement. It's, it really isn't. I did not. Uh, I found the uh, home life stuff with Sienna Miller. To be pretty standard stuff. I didn't really see. Find, I was I, I was really moved by it. I, I was really find moved a whole by lot it. of insight. I mean, I, here's the thing: I found the same type of insight that you'd find on a, on, on some CBS show where some yeah. veteran comes home. No, I I was I really, really moved by it. I thought I think it's the best thing she's ever done. I thought it was. I oh, was moved sure. By she's so good. You know, by the way, she's gorgeous. Isn't she great? From that uh, so anyway, you you get. Uh, but please, you know, let me say something. The one thing I did like about it is Eastwood. He, he oh Eastwood energized. He's into the material. It, totally, right? He's on it. He's and he on took board. this over from Spielberg, you know, and thank God. God. Uh, you get uh, a handful of extras on here, The Making of American Sniper, and then uh, this thing called One Soldier's Story, which is uh, essentially a, a, you know, kind of uh, a documentary about the road to the screen, so to speak. Also, uh, Ultraviolet on this. And uh, a few schlocky things here to go through real quickly. Zombievers is on DVD. Yeah. This is this is just the stupidest B-movie thing. Uh, basically, it's this is a teen sex comedy, for, well, teen horror sex comedy, as it would have been in the 1980s with uh, a lot of, apparently a lot of leftover puppets from Caddyshack that they use to uh, make them zombie beavers when a couple of idiots throw, get some, you know, lose a truck full of toxic waste into a, into a river, then suddenly these three girls and the guys that are with them camping, as they always go, they always go camping. Uh, they're out in this ca- cabin, and next thing you know, they're attacked by the uh, the rabid zombie beavers. Yeah. And 
if you watch this, it's a stupid, silly movie. It no really is. It's ever. so silly. But if you watch this, you've got to watch it all the way to the very, very end. Because there's a song, there's a like a Frank Sinatra knockoff cover song, uh, like Frank Sinatra singing Zombievers over the end titles, which is hilarious. And then there is a final sight gag at the end, a little tag, that is one of the funniest sight gags. It's a, it's a visual pun. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, Strange Magic is uh, an animated film. Apparently, this is the price that Disney had to pay when they cut their deal with George Lucas for uh, for uh, the Star Wars films. Uh, this is just rancid. This is horrendous on every conceivable level. It's it's uh, this is a, a kind of a modern day fairy tale that is really just like the worst elements of Beauty and the Beast. And I didn't know there were any bad elements, but it's basically Beauty and the Beast done completely wrong with bad animation and with covers of pop songs like in Moulin Rouge. It's horrible. It's just it's an embarrassment on every conceivable level. And the fact that they did not release this to Blu-ray tells you a great deal. Uh, Disney also slapped the Touchstone label on this. They went and dusted that thing off. And man, what an embarrassment. Strange magic. Horrible. Uh, Dad's a soccer mom. You know what? It's funny. What can I tell you? Uh, Terrell Owens, Lester Spate, uh, Randy, Wendy Robinson, Tracy Gold. Um, it's stupid. It's one of those kind of lowbrow family comedies. But, you know, uh, what? It, look, you get a wrestler, Marion Casey. You cast him as a big, big hulking dad, and you do a lot of family comedy. And uh, it's it's modestly funny. This thing was shown on Up, which is a channel i apparently don't get and then ice tastrophe you get it mark ice tastrophe is is that like sharknado yeah exactly uh the uh basically a meteorite uh just destroys the whole holiday celebration in this one town and it's really lowbrow but it's kind of silly uh so if you're if you're sleep deprived i guess you'll probably enjoy it courtney cox made her directing debut and hopefully she'll never direct a film again because this thing is just totally a mess this is just before i go with a uh, very game, but uh, unfortunately, uh, just there's nothing he can do with it. Um, Sean William Scott plays a guy in his 40s. Life's a mess. Goes back to his hometown and, uh, you know, and uh, face off with all the people who made him so miserable. Uh, but he should really look in the mirror because he made himself miserable. Anyway, Courtney Cox, I don't know what she's thinking, man. This is just, it's just a bunch of fat jokes and, uh, and boner gags. And, you know, it's just, and but yet, but yet it also wants to, you know, have all these beautiful moments about you know accepting homosexuality and 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 having mercy and uh, on people with depression and down syndrome it's just it's just all over the place so this thing's a total misfire uh not funny no nothing really to latch on to don't like the characters again sean william scott doesn't play it that silly which is nice so i guess you got to give courtney cox credit for that but still i just don't see what visually uh, and as a storyteller, what she brings to the table as a director. So I would definitely pass on the complete misfire just before I go. We also have um, The Pyramid, which is a horror film produced by uh, Al- uh, uh, Alexander uh, Aja, whatever his name is. Yeah, Aja. Aja, Aja yeah, yeah. What, what, uh, who did uh, The Hills Have Eyes. This one, this is a pure skim. This is just a ridiculous uh, Saturday night uh, nothingness. It's about uh, these uh, team of archaeologists, and they... Go into an Egyptian. They go to the Egyptian desert, and they there's a bunch of secrets in there, and they're being hunted by this evil, you know, nightmarish, you know, entity. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much standard stuff. 
So uh, there you go. Directed by nobody in particular. And I'd pass on The Pyramid. Too many other good films out there than to watch The Pyramid. Uh, I have five as we uh, get down close to wrapping out the show. I got five here. uh, Two from Wellgo. Three from uh, Shout Factory and Scream Factory. Uh, All kind of genre-y-ish things. Uh, Wellgo is expanding uh, increasingly beyond their core martial arts stuff, their core Hong Kong and uh, and Asian stuff. And uh, we got a thing here called Sword of Vengeance, which is a... A pretty decent. Um, this is from the guys who did Hammer of the Gods, and this is a pretty decent kind of uh, medieval Norman Viking uh, warlord thing. Uh, it, it, it's it, it's kind of. Um, what, I, I had a I had a, a, a name for these things. They're they're like pre-apocalyptic movies, right? They're they're uh, they're basically like Mad Max films, except they're set in the medieval past. So it's all—it's a post-apocalyptic scenario, but it's set in, in in the Middle Ages. So it's like pre-apocalyptic, right? Is it a good term. Lame. Okay, never mind. Anyway, there's a few of these. Throw a bunch of guys in armor, give them swords, hack up a bunch of stuff, have some people who are you know really messed up, and you're kind of splitting the difference between the Lord of the Rings films and the Mad Max films, and still, you, because you make it historical, it feels a little bit legit. So anyway, this thing, uh, this is okay. Uh, it, it's not exactly uh, you know. Uh, Thor, or uh, or even uh, the 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 Valhalla thing, the Nicholas Winding Refn thing. Yeah, Valhalla oh. Rising, oh, so man, good, so good. But it's all right. Sort of engines from uh, from Wellgo, and um, also from Wellgo is a thing called These Final Hours, which is also not bad. Uh, this is pretty good acquisition. This is a, uh, a a on the verge of the apocalypse movie. And uh, there's, you know, these end of the world movies have kind of come and gone. There've been a few of them, and it's the best ones they don't tell you exactly what's happening. Here, the idea is the Earth's going to get hit by a meteor, and it's just going to take everything out. And you got 12 hours, and uh, this is uh, this has an interesting twist on that, an interesting family twist, and it uh, it's not bad. It's really very very well done, very smartly put together. So uh, bravo to uh, writer director. Zach Hilditch, who I think has a bit of a future. And then from Scream Factory, got Deep in the Darkness uh, with Dean Stockwell and Sean Patrick Thomas. Um, this was originally seen on Chiller, which, again, is like a network I don't even, I'm not even remotely familiar with. Uh, but uh, good, good spook stuff, good, good scares. It's all right. Uh, Dean Stockwell apparently has no career left, so he's doing stuff like this. But uh, this is—it's uh, got some good chills. Um, Extraterrestrial, also some good chills. This is from the Vicious Brothers, who I'm only marginally familiar with. I'm getting a little tired of these brother teams making movies, but uh, ever since the Coens, everybody kind of jumped on the bandwagon, right? Coen Brothers kind of lit that fuse. I love them. We do. We love them a lot. But anyway. Name one bad Coen Brothers film, go. Uh, that George Clooney thing. No, not the George no, Clooney thing. Good. The, the, no, no, the, uh, the, the Tom Hanks thing, oh, the remake of the... No, uh, yeah. Oh, also the... Um, the remake of the, the old, the Ealing comedy. Oh, yeah, what was that? Lady Killers. Lady Killers. That was oh, terrible. Oh, you know what? That's true. That was terrible. And I just thought of Intolerable, intolerable oh, Cruelty. Oh, dreadful. But that has a couple of funny things in it. But, oh, okay. But batting average-wise? Yeah. They're Come on. 95. 90%, maybe, right? 900 so anyway, uh, the Vicious Brothers do an audio commentary on here. Uh, as far as you know, general alien invasion, extraterrestrial threat movies go, uh, you could do worse. You could do worse. Uh, and then, as long as we're on kind of a, a 
a semi Mad Max thing. Um, we have Dark Hall. Uh, now, a, uh, a a cast member here is a Facebook friend of mine, so I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to say anything bad about it. He does a very very good job, alongside Tom Sizemore, who uh, also does a better than average job, basically playing himself. This is kind of a demon. Well, here's the deal: um, you, you have a guy who has to transport um, a demon and its sister in a truck. Write the rest of the movie yourself. It's like Midnight Run, but with demons. Kind of, sort of. Not really. Um, this was originally aired on Sci-Fi. It's a little lowbrow. It's got some decent creature effects. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I, I'm not sure there's a, there's a way to even describe it, but it's called Dark Hall, and uh, it's you know one of those one of those. I got crap in my truck movies, and I got to get it to in one piece from one place to one place. It's I don't know. It's an interesting idea. It's, it kind of works. Um, let's see. Let's just nail a couple of older movies, and then we'll call it quits. Um, Capricorn One, Mark, is out on Blu-ray. Oh, I love this film. As Capricorn a kid. One's out on Blu-ray. Remember the last shot where he's jogging towards the he's jogging in the cemetery the towards best. the. Uh, Towards the memorial service. It's great. In, in the era of pre-CGI, this movie really killed it. Uh, this is a, a, a release from Timeless. I don't know how Timeless got hold of this, but uh, it's great. And the movie was produced by a great producer back then, Paul Lazarus, whose son, incidentally, is David Lazarus, columnist for the LA Times and, uh, and frequent uh, guest host on Film Week, who I know quite well. I've guested on his, uh, his radio show in uh, San Francisco a few times. And David is great, and uh, he often joked that uh, Capricorn One paid for his college education. So good. Uh, and you know what? I mean, it may be the best, still the best film that Peter Hyams ever did. Really? Yeah, I think. I like so. Outland. Outland's good, but I, man, you know what? This is—it's just a great idea. It's just a really great. I mean, Outland. Here's the thing. Um, you know, 2010 is the sequel to 2001. You're climbing a really tall hill there, and Outland is high noon in space. It's well done, but Capricorn One is totally original. It is a totally cool, original thriller idea. It's just great. It really fires in all cylinders. You know, fake Mars landing, it's great. Uh, Telly Savalas is fantastic. Karen Black shows up in here. It's just really a film of its era, but it's, it dates really well. And Sam Waterston is so good in it. Uh, James Brolin, Brenda Vaccaro, Elliot Gould, and, of course, O.J. Simpson. Hal Holbrook, great cast, fantastic cast. So that is out there on Blu-ray. Fabulous movie. Well, we have uh, three criterions for you this week. Uh, we have Char- uh, Charlie Chaplin in Limelight. Now, it's funny. This is Lime- This is Charlie Chaplin in 1952. So, you know, Chaplin, of course, great silent film star. He kept doing silent films long after silent films were, you know, based. He was like the last guy doing it. You know, everybody was had uh, moved to sound. Yeah. Chaplin's still doing uh, silent film. Now we're in 1952. So at this point, mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Yeah. Enough with the silent already. Go, 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 go say something. Yeah. So um, this one, uh, Chaplin plays a, uh, this, he's this uh, performer, musical comedy performer. He's now kind of like, uh, you know, he's kind of like washed up and he drinks too much. And uh, he lives in a tiny little flat, a guy in London, guy's like nothing. And so uh, he meets this beautiful uh, woman. She's a dancer, Claire Bloom, and uh, they kind of uh, fall in love. This is probably, would you say this is Chaplin's last good film? Oh, boy. 
I mean, nineteen fifty-two. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. what what else he got going on? Yeah. After nineteen fifty-two. Sure. Um, so, in that sense, this is completely worth it. It's a great Blu-ray, of course, because it's a uh, Criterion uh, video essay by uh, uh, Chaplin biographer David Robinson, which is good. New interviews with uh, Claire Bloom, which is great. And Norman Lloyd, who's still around. Uh, there's a 2002 documentary about the making of the film, and so there's audio recordings of uh, Chaplin reading two short excerpts from uh, his novella Footlights, which is like whatever, unless you want to hear uh, Chaplin's voice. So this is late period uh, Chaplin, totally worth it. Obviously not the classics that you know Gold Rush and City Lights and Modern Times and The Great Dictator are, but still it's uh, totally worth it. Great job from Criterion, of course, as usual. Next we have uh, from 1937, Make Way for Tomorrow, directed by Leo McCary. Yes, about an elderly couple. And, uh, you know, they have to break up when they lose their house and their children will not take them in. <laughs> Supposedly this film was an inspiration for um, Ozu's Tokyo Story. I, I found oh, really? That, I found that very strange. That's interesting. And yet uh, that is what I heard. Anyway. Interesting film, good film. It's one of Liam McCary's best films. It's uh, depression era stuff, so it's it's got definitely got like a bit of a down and out you know feel to it. Um, there's a decent amount of extras considering the film was from 1937. Uh, there's an interview with Peter Bogdanovich about uh, Liam McCary, and uh, interview from 2009 with uh, Gary Giddens about uh, McCary and uh, how great he was. The booklet's pretty good too. So make way for tomorrow. It's, uh, by the way, not a comedy. It is a drama, although Liam McCary did do some comedies. This one's a drama. And uh, it's interesting stuff. Definitely worth a rental. Next we have The Rose, which is really more famous for the song than it is for the actual movie. This is with uh, this is directed by Mark Rydell, who was, uh, he did on Golden Pond, a lot of mawkish stuff. Great. That was, uh, his, his career died when he did For the Boys uh, with that horrible makeup between uh, Bette Midler and, um, <laughs> and James Caan. That was just dreadful. But The Rose... He nails it with Bette Midler. I mean, it's basically kind of a very, very loose quasi-biopic about uh, um, what's her name, you know? Mel? Uh, Steve, no, no, no. They, they, no, no, the same. Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin. Yeah, it's kind of a loose Janis Joplin. But I mean, very, very loose. Just sort of inspired but by For- how, how good is Frederick Forrest? Oh, he's fantastic. Come on. No, it's a good film. It's, it's a really good film. Yeah, yeah, okay, it's a good film. It's a good film. That, that song, though, just, that song is so mawkish. It is. But this it gotten you know this is this is a little bit like I mean it's not what we expect of Bette Midler she sort of she got her Oscar nomination out of this and then she became you know that silly diva comedy character but here she's really giving you a performance it's a really great performance uh, and then we have a, a pile here we'll wrap it up with the Warner Archive collection stuff that's Bette Midler from that, For the it's Boys it's the worst makeup ever I just googled it it's the worst makeup ever it's just the worst. <laughs> It's just like they they went dunking they dunked their heads no, in no, latex. No. no, 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 no. The worst makeup ever. Only because it was like one shot in the yeah. film is the very end of A Beautiful Mind. When oh, Jennifer Connelly is, so is in horrible. the audience when he's giving a speech. It's horrible. The worst. It is. It's horrible. The best. Let me find uh, that one. Where's that one? So uh, War- the uh, Warner Archives uh, at warnerarchive.com. We've got some really interesting stuff this week. A couple of them from the uh, Samuel Goldwyn Library, Samuel Goldwyn Classics. Uh, the first is Barbary Coast, the wonderful Barbary Coast directed by Howard Hawks with uh, Miriam Hopkins, Edward G. Robinson, and Joel McRae. That's just fantastic and a, and a sensational Ben Hecht screenplay. Uh, really, this is – it's just such a it's – so, it's just so smart and clever. Uh, so I, uh, you know, the whole, the whole 
dance between these actors is really an awful lot of fun. And then Gary Cooper and uh, Anna Sten in Wedding Night, uh, directed by King Vidor, a little less uh, interesting. This is kind of more of a sort of more of a programmer from the. Uh, Era. What are you showing? Oh, that's there it Jennifer is. Jennifer Connelly from Beautiful Mind that's in her awful. old age makeup. Yeah, that's awful. Terrible. Really dreadful. Uh, a little bit of a melodrama here. Uh, you know, some good performances, but uh, otherwise not as... I mean, Barbary Coast is really, really great. Um, Sister Kenny with Rosalind Russell and Alexander Knox is uh, kind of... This, uh, this is a little more of an affectionate melodrama uh, with Rosalind Russell playing a, a nurse who may have found a treatment for polio. Uh, actually, a uh, a true story actually took place in the uh, in Australia, apparently, and directed by Dudley Nichols, who is a director I'm only vaguely familiar with, but it's generally well done. Also, Black Gold with uh, Anthony Quinn is uh, you know perfectly, totally acceptable kind of Anthony Quinn star vehicle uh, that uh, you know came kind of at the end of a long section of his career where he's just doing character rock, character parts. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a racehorse movie, and there have been a million racehorse movies. Uh, director Phil Carlson, kind of a guy who did a lot of programmers. Uh, but it's, it's totally serviceable. And uh, the, the climax here is the 1924 uh, Kentucky Derby, which is sort of, a, I guess, a historic... Kentucky Derby. Some of those horses, by the way, still alive. Ricardo Montalban, I know, true, right? Ricardo Montalban leads an unbelievably awesome cast in Sombrero. I, Sid Charisse could literally just show up in any movie, and I will love it. So I'm a sucker for the fact that Sid Charisse is even in this movie. Uh, great musical. Vittorio Gassman, Yvonne DiCarlo, Nina Foch, uh, Rick Jason, who I, I always rave about from his great turns in you know a number of films in the '60s, but also in combat on television. Uh, you know, this is uh, this is a lot of fun. It's kind of a forgotten musical in many respects, uh, but man, Vittorio Gassman was so good looking. We always kind of think about him as you know in some of his later years when he shows up in things like Tempest, Paul Mazursky's Tempest. But uh, really, this is uh, this is a great cast, a really really fun uh, technical and musical, very nicely done. And then lastly, as long as we're talking about musicals, this is the one we're wrapping out with, Mark. This is a must own. Everybody's got to have this on their shelf. You cannot let this escape. Warner Archive releases another one of its occasional Blu-rays, and this is golden, folks. 42nd Street. Right there. The legendary... Awesome. 1933. The one and only amazing 42nd Street. This is, uh, you know... Must be Berkeley. So good. So unbelievably good. Yep. Uh, Ruby Keeler, you know, Una Merkel. I mean, really, this is just... This is when movies were starting to talk and they figured out how to make them not just talk but sing and dance and go crazy. It's so fun. Uh, This movie just does not... It dates so incredibly well. It doesn't get old. It is still just as impressive as the day it was released. And you get so many cool extras on here. Vintage featurettes... Um, one which includes uh, you know a, a trip through a Hollywood studio of the era, which will just make you cry. It's just so cool. You just wish those old days just came back again. And a couple of really really cool uh, vintage cartoons: Shuffle Off to Buffalo and Young and Healthy. So it's a little bit like uh, like a night at the movies in the 1930s. It's fantastic. And one best picture. Forty Seconds is a great movie. One best picture. I know. Yeah. So there we have it. That is our show for this week. And uh, email us. And our show for next week. Uh, email us at gods at digigods.com. Send us your emails. Send us your Vox boxes. Record your questions. By the uh, way, we love the fact that everybody's on the Facebook page. 
by throwing stuff up there, it's great. posting trailers, putting yep. out little things in there. It's fantastic. Doing their own reviews, doing their own commentaries. Yes. It's really nice. Love it's, it. It's a very active community. So join the Facebook page if you haven't yet. And uh, otherwise, email us at gods at digigods.com. Vox boxes and emails always appreciated. Another time. And we will be off next week while Mark is uh, cavorting in uh, New York doing all kinds of unsavory things. I want to see Mad Max. <laughs> you see it in New York. See when you're in New York. I might actually. Don't don't Go. tempt me. Don't tempt me because I will. Head on Seriously, head on up there to Lincoln Center to those those amazing theaters at Lincoln Center. I'm sure one of those screens will just have be a, a bunch of kids. They're going to be texting. and, and uh, they won't, No, they won't. They'll, they'll, they'll bring I, their iPads. I and their, guarantee you. No, what, no, you don't understand. The first frame of, that you see when the logo comes up, you're in. Don't, don't, shh. It, Say it's, nothing. It, it's Say just, nothing. They're, 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 you're gripped. You're done. It's over. Shh. Shh. All right. We'll see you in two weeks.